0: Weather's still good in San Diego. Unfortunately, here in the northeast, we're gonna have three days of wind and rain. But one of my one of my colleagues said earlier today, let's not talk about the forecast for this weekend. Let's talk about the forecast for the Fall of July weekend.
1: Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S. For additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
0: I'd like to, as we normally do, start with the end. On oil, I don't really have too much add from last week or last couple of weeks, which is that surplus capacity is going to be three and a half to four when we get to July 1, because OPEC Plus has agreed to take another cut. And then Saudi Arabia has agreed for the month of July to reduce their production by a million barrels a day. This is a little alarming to have that much surplus capacity. The problem is, as we discussed last week, is that that jump of a million and a half barrels a day on liquid fuels consumption on exhibit c a fair chunk of that is china in fact it's half of the increase and china is a problem for all commodities and mike and jason and i believe i'll let them speak in a second believes that China was headed towards lower growth, lower consumption of commodities before COVID. And when they had that very elaborate COVID lockdown program and they ended it successfully in that they didn't have overcrowded hospitals or anything, we thought a lot of the stuff would snap back. And it hasn't. It certainly hasn't from a commodity point of view. Iron ore's down, metals down, LNG imports are down, and I don't know whether that seven hundred thousand barrel a day from fifteen two to fifteen nine is going to happen. And I suspect that the Saudi position is they don't know whether it's going to happen either. So I, I would say the other problem is if you look at the top, where in twenty two Russia was ten point nine million barrels a day and it can be 10.3 everyone assumed with the sanctions it would be more of an impact than that and there hasn't been so oil if we turn to the bottom of exhibit b the futures price for oil interestingly enough has flattened out it was in a significant if you look at say the beginning of 22 the prompt price was 85 and the price Three years out was 68. Now the prompt price is 69, and the price three years out is 65. So the backwardation is significantly less. I, I'm hoping, and and I think a reasonable expectation is WTI will hold around 70, but it is a little worrisome not, not having that surplus capacity. No real comment on Exhibit A, the cash flow statement for the government, except For our government, except that I know I say this every Wednesday, there has to be some money that can be saved if you look at the year before COVID, 2019, and you take out all the all the automatic spending, including defense and interest, the rest of the budget is 910 billion dollars. And for the CBO forecast for 23. A trillion for that 500 billion some of that 500 billion has to come out and that's what the debt ceiling negotiation was about I think I think that the Republicans in the house would claim 100 billion of savings now they're going to try to do the 12 budgets regular way and the conservative members of the House are going to try to take that from 100 to 200 all this is very important because we added way too much debt combating COVID. If you see the deficit went to 3 trillion and 20, and almost 3 trillion and 21, our debt held by the public went from 16.8, which was too high, you know, like 25.7. The key statistic I think is that held by the public relating to GNP If our debt held by the public. The difference between our total debt And debt held by the public is, you know, Social Security trust funds and the Fed, things like that. But if that debt held by the public starts to get significantly above our GNP, that is not good. That trend has to be reversed, and it has to be reversed by not spending. If you look at the revenues, not to get political here or anything, but you look at the revenues in 2019, were three and a half trillion dollars. The revenues for 23 are going to be 4.8. So it's not a revenue issue. It's a it's a spending issue. Mike, Jason, anything to add, especially on disappointing snapback in China?
2: China's become more and more important to learn about. And it's neither Jason nor I's expertise area. But some of the semiconductor stuff has forced us to pay more attention to it. We had been following the overbuilding of homes and the fall of Evergrande. And I think that obviously has been a huge impact on industrial uses of commodities. So I think that was, what was it, like a quarter of their GDP? I
3: think it was closer to
2: 30%. Right. So taking the fact that they're going to have positive GDP growth in spite of that sector being Significantly curtailed is actually quite impressive in some ways.
0: You know, they finally agreed to see um, our Secretary of State, and the Secretary of State got 30 minutes with the President of China. It, I think it's the case that, not just because of using more commodities, I think it's the case that having a commercial Cold War with China just is probably not going to work. No one wants to give them a pass on misbehavior. But during the Trump administration, trying to reduce the balance of trade advantage, which China had, I mean, that's one thing. But I think that the Biden administration has kept all the tariffs and then has put a hold on shipping advanced chips other kinds of equipment under the theory that china could use those in in weapon systems and whatnot i don't know that that is a feasible position for the united states i, I wouldn't expect them to back off you know say pre 24 presidential election but it it just doesn't seem to be working very well. And if you think about it, I don't know why Nancy Pelosi in her last period as Speaker of the House felt she had to visit Taiwan and you know, at least the reports both at the time and afterwards that the Biden administration tried to get her not to do that. I think we're going to see, as another year goes by, another year goes by, and we get some distance to judge things, that maybe it can win votes in uh, national elections for the House and the Senate and the President, but it's just not viable, if you look at the industrial logic of our two economies, to erect these barriers. And Jason, who because of his career, has more background here. Uh, and, you know, we are going to get into chip stocks. We got ASML, which has been added to the NVIDIA page. We'll get into that. But, Jason, I know you probably would want to be more tough on China based on comments you've made in the past, even months ago. And why, why don't you just spend three or four minutes with the case why restricting uh technology transfer to china is something we need to do
3: it's a it's a huge challenge the the corporate espionage that occurs is tremendous right so they're they're taking ip from companies and you know including defense companies in the united states and and replicating technologies so we don't really have any recourse when when that occurs and once they have the ip the cat's kind of out of the bag and they they can use it as as they wish right so so the Biden administration's goal is to restrict them from having the hardware that they can in turn use that IP to to build different systems. It's still to be seen whether restricting that prevents them from building these more advanced weapon systems or not. In this particular case, I think all it does is accelerate their focus to be able to to build those advanced chips domestically with entirely Chinese manufacturers. And suppliers, um, it's a it's a huge challenge. But you know, it might have been so big of a challenge that they wouldn't have undertaken it if we hadn't pushed them to do that. And we, we don't even know if what we're doing is going to be successful. But if we restrict their advanced AI chips, they can restrict us from having you know the chips that control the compressor in your refrigerator or the radio in your car, like those kind of things. And um, that's going to have a, a huge impact on our economy, obviously, um, as we saw through COVID in the supply chain disruptions so kind of playing with fire and like you said that you know we're so dependent on each other it's it's i don't know if it's wise to to do these kind of things but as you said to be harder on them I, I think we need to figure out how to prevent theft of of ip you know that that should really be
2: curtailed and that should be the focus
0: mike anything to add
2: i i mean i agree with jason i mean i i think that the ip issue is probably the most important issue and our current implementation of restricting certain technolo- technology is a, um, not a very precise way of bringing more attention to the issue. And maybe, maybe they all have a bigger, longer game, and maybe we're going to come to a mutual understanding of how to handle IP cross-border when IP theft does occur. Maybe there's a better outcome. But at the end of the day, I think the mutual interdependence between China and the US is actually very good. And I think that we should not resist it. In fact, we should embrace it. And it will make the world a, in general, better place as a result. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of warmongering that happens in in Washington. But uh, if you can keep the bigger picture in mind, I think, I hope that. That's also part of what's happening there in Washington too.
0: Yeah. To follow up those those comments, let's turn to page three. Nvidia seemed expensive in January at one ten or one twenty, so it promptly tripled from there. And we've talked in prior Wednesday sessions about how you need GPUs in order to handle the large language models that is what has impressed people and where there seems to be future activity. I added over the weekend ASML, which makes the lithography machines, it makes manufacturing these chips feasible. It's a Dutch company. It was basically started by Intel and other U.S. chip companies. And it has a a lot of assets in the U.S., So, presumably, shipping their most advanced equipment to Chinese companies can be limited. But this is a case in point where, sooner or later, you would expect the Chinese to be able to make their own advanced lithology machines. And, of course, the other one here, and there's a typo here, don't? Don't run out and say, oh, I can get Taiwan semiconductor for five times free cash flow. There's a zero missing there. Taiwan semiconductor is trading for 50 times free cash flow. It's gone up with all the emphasis on AI because video's chips are all made by Taiwan semiconductors. And 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 ASML holding has gone up because of that. Intel can't get out of its own way. And advanced micro devices a week ago they've done a terrific job with cpus competing with intel but the product they announced a week ago which was mixing a cpu and a gpu didn't impress investors and they said that they wouldn't be ready to ship it until early next year so there was general disappointment about amd but before i turn it back to jason mike which are you know, way more confident than me on all this stuff. I, in addition to pointing out the typo, I want to point out something else here. Normally, the interim results are past results, but Nvidia did not have a particularly strong uh, year, which ends in January, and they didn't have a particularly strong quarter. And their sales had been going at the rate of around um, six or seven billion a quarter, down from eight or so before the chip business started to decline across the board. I said the interim was six months of 723. Well, that's looking forward. What I tried to do, and we'll ask Mike to comment on it. I tried to say, based on the CEO founders saying that they were gonna do 11 billion of of revenues in the quarter to the end of July, I tried to put down revenue, operating costs, R&D and whatnot. So it came up with free cash flow of around $11 billion as compared to if you just based it on the results of the last fiscal year or the first quarter of this fiscal year, that free cash flow number would be four and a half or something like that. Good free cash flow, but oh, there's another typo there. That shouldn't be a negative 7.6. That should be a positive 7.6. But I know that Mike is done his own analysis of this, and so I think we'll turn it over to Mike and then have Jason comment on Mike's analysis so over to you, Mike where do you think a you know a a run rate free cash flow for Nvidia based on greatly increased demand for GPU chips is
2: okay so so the first thing we don't have a ton of data to go on they only really give us one quarter guidance, so we have to infer some things here. So the first thing that we infer is that they're supply constrained based on the fact that the last couple of quarters he talked about how they were having trouble ramping to meet capacity for the new um H one hundreds. That he talked about how, you know, there's twenty thousand parts and it's not just the chips that are slowing them down. It's other things. So when he gives the guidance for next quarter at eleven billion, I'm actually assuming that they'll probably be incremental Sales in the following quarters. Similar to what you've done here, I actually have a higher number for revenue as my estimate for the next year. Call it 45 billion. The data center products are higher margin than the traditional gaming. So I think our gross margin estimates 68, 69%, which is shockingly high, very high. <laughs> but the the, the nice thing about where NVIDIA is is they're, they're the best option for any company that's going to start doing this on their own. If you're, not, if you're not Amazon, you're not Google, you're not building your own silicon, your own system, and you have the development uh, talent to write your own software and code bases and whatnot, you're going to just go with the NVIDIA system because it is far easier to get to market. So I get to a little bit more free cash flow. So I could see cash flow being twice what you've what you've estimated here on a run rate basis in a year.
0: So something like 20, 20 billion for free cash flow. That's right.
2: And that would get you closer to a 40 to 45x free cash flow uh, valuation. So is that still expensive? Yes. <laughs> is it expensive given the growth? Not really, but it, again, it makes a strong assumption about how much incremental revenue growth is there. Again, our belief is that NVIDIA is going to capture the long tail of artificial intelligence software development. And that that long tail means basically that if it's not done in-house by one of the major big tech firms, everything else falls into that long tail. And until there is an alternative to NVIDIA, they're going to have pricing power. So capturing, you know, 68% of gross margins isn't crazy. But let's see what Jason thinks about that after a few weeks of thinking about
0: it. (laughs) Jason, it sounds pretty optimistic. What do you think?
3: It does sound optimistic. And that's exactly what I thought when he first got finished with it. And I started to think about more towards the future of, of AI in general. So what really spurred this huge guide that they gave um, last month was the text-based chat gpt that we've been talking about so so text-based generative ai but there's a lot more coming down the road after text you know it's going to it's going to generate all the sensory inputs that we have it's going to generate sound voice algorithms are progressing rapidly but they're behind the text-based ones picture generation is already getting pretty good before long, it'll be generating photorealistic pictures that we can't distinguish at, at first glance, and then videos after that. And video is is a really computationally intensive task. So once we get to the point where we're going to be generating generative AI video, we're going to need a tremendous amount of, of compute power. If you just think about how the size of, of text on a hard drive, if you've had to manage your files, if you have text files, you can store Millions of them. If you have a couple movies downloaded, your hard drive's full. So, if you think about it that way, like we're gonna we're gonna need a lot more AI compute in the near future. So, his optimistic predictions could play out.
0: Let me ask you a question, Jason, that I've been asking Mike in our twenty-minute phone calls every morning, and you're the expert on. If you're really concerned about your If you're taking all the data you have, let's say you're working on a cancer vaccine and you're taking all the data you have and trying to use use these algorithms or or being able to make all that data available to see patterns and whatnot, and you're worried that the last thing in the world you want would be to have another pharmaceutical research operation have access to that data that's yours, that's proprietary, would you trust Amazon or Microsoft or Google or or Oracle, the people that are in the cloud business to have a dedicated cloud? Or would you decide because you want to give your scientists this quicker and you're not sure whether Amazon or Microsoft have enough GPUs to give you the kind of performance you want from a dedicated cloud? Would you start to think about having your own server? For security reasons and also if you could get nvidia to make you enough gpus you could make this facility available to your scientists faster
3: i think you do have to start thinking about about that if you look at traditional cloud computing you didn't or you shouldn't have thought about that they've never really betrayed the trust of of any of their clients and if they do it, it really breaks down their business model I, I think all the times that Amazon or, or the other cloud providers were hacked, it's really the fault of the customer and, and not them. But this AI stuff is much newer, and it is learning from the inputs that you give it. Um, and there's, been, there's already been a number of examples that you can ask the right questions in the right way and eventually tease out some information that shouldn't have been in there or get it to generate copyrighted content or pictures. and So I think you you have to be fearful because it's not widely known how how those mechanisms work and and there haven't been the assurances there that it's going to prevent your data from leaking out based on examples that we've seen that it has occurred. So I think because of those reasons, until they get it figured out, you kind of have to either bring it in-house and and host your own hardware or get left behind because you're going to not use it. So really the choice is, is you're going to be running it locally.
0: Yep. In the three minutes or so that we have left, if we slide across this page and and we eliminate my typo and realize Taiwan TSMC's 50 times free cash flow, if we take Mike's analysis that a run rate for NVIDIA has them at 50 times free cash flow and ASML, you know, at 40 times free cash flow. Now, granted, TSMC and ASML, you know, we haven't put them in at higher run rates. On the other hand, making the chips and and making lethousery equipment that enables you to make this, you know, are not going to have the same upward bias that NVIDIA has. If you had some money to invest, would it be one-third, 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 or would you shade it more towards NVIDIA? or how would you characterize those three, all of whom are gonna benefit? Would you, would you have equal weighting or would you have half in NVIDIA, and a quarter in each in ASML and TSMC, or how would you look at it?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you how I'll explain it. Uh, I've heard people say that every day that you're not selling, you're buying. So from our portfolio's perspective, we have the most in Nvidia. We have the next most in ASML, and the, and the least amount in Taiwan Semiconductor. It's more than half, uh, maybe more than a quarter, and yeah, you know, less than a quarter.
0: Yeah, Jason, any comment on that?
3: You'd have to get they. They each have things to consider, and you'd have to get real comfortable with Nvidia's valuation here after its its big run this year. I like ASML. They're a monopoly in in the equipment to make these chips, but I'd have to think
2: harder on, on <laughs> how well, I'd... There's multiple ways to look at that. it. Like, so let's look at it from our expected IRR on these companies. So NVIDIA has the lowest expected IRR, which obviously is a signal to us that we should be considering either trimming the position or sitting on our hands and not doing anything. The highest expected IRR from our, again, based on our analysis, is ASML by far. Taiwan Semiconductor is slightly higher than than NVIDIA. So I guess if you were to look at it from that perspective, you might flip the weights <laughs> from from where I had them before.
0: Right. Next week, coming attractions, we're going to, we, we, it's hard to imagine that we won't refer a little bit to page three But we're going to try to go through the other pages, and we know that Jason's a fan of Meta and uh, possibly Oracle, but we're going to try to go through the other pages and see where, where AI is going to benefit and focus, I think, a bit on the healthcare companies, because the example I used before of wanting to get your scientists equipped with the ability to use these GPUs is very important, I think, to medical research. So we'll we'll, we'll certainly, in terms of coming to traction, we'll certainly be spending some time on Meta, some time on Oracle, and some time on the, uh, on the biotech companies. And with that, the weather's still good in San Diego. Unfortunately, here in the Northeast, we're going to have three days of wind and rain, but one of my one of my colleagues said earlier today, let's not talk about the forecast for this weekend. Let's talk about the forecast for the fourth July weekend. And with that commentary, everyone stay well and stay healthy. Talk next Wednesday. Take care.
1: The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.